Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hi, my name is Mark Whitlock, and I'm one of the pirate monks who hangs out in the treehouse to host our podcast. We are bringing a command performance of a past podcast to you. This is from episode 51 in our archives. We had the privilege of interviewing Jay Asher right after his book, 13 Reasons Why, went number one and had sold about 600,000 copies. You'll hear more about the early days of the book in our interview. Nate, Mondo, and Aaron bring you this interview with Jay Asher, who's a friend of the Pirate Monks. If you like what you hear today, why don't you subscribe on your favorite podcast app and listen to more interviews from the Pirate Monk podcast. And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Aaron, out there in Studio A in San Luis Obispo, you have brought us a world-class guest. World-class guest, Mr. J. Asher in the disassembled Studio A, (laughs) waiting patiently. So, uh, yeah, Jay is a friend from here in San Luis that is at, did we say world-renowned now? Let's, that let's make this name as that big works. as possible. A world-renowned author of the book 13 Reasons Why. Best-selling uh, author. Best-selling author. How many, how many books have sold at this point? Um, in the U.S., I heard about 600,000, and then it's out in 30 countries, so I don't know what it is. Out there, but yeah, that's a lot. Now, now to get an idea of that, how many copies of the Pirate Monk book uh, Samson <laughs> yeah. have sold thus far? Yeah, yeah, slightly less than six hundred thousand. Yeah, no, yeah, who knows? I think we're <laughs> we're over six thousand. Oh, see, see? that's there you go. nice. It's good. Just oh, need to give people kind of a perspective. Okay, yeah. uh, the thirteen reasons why a big. <laughs> Big seller. That wasn't fair. You know, if we had done the mini meeting and used the word insecurity, that would have made me a bad guy yeah, just there. Exactly. So we'll just we'll call this my loving you and doing some work. That's okay. what yeah. we'll I, call it. This has this has not uh, aggravated my insecurity insecurity <laughs> at all, and I'm not comparing my sales figures in any way with you. <laughs> I'm still a good and worthwhile person. So. Uh, now, Jay, Jay knows this feeling. Uh, it's always hard when a person you know gives you a book to read or a manuscript to read because you're pretty sure it's going to suck. Yes. <laughs> and you're afraid if you read it, you'll have to figure out how to tell them that you like it and still be clean with God on yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. it's very complicated. Uh, and, and I've talked before, Nate, about you giving me those early manuscripts of your book and, mm-hmm. and feeling those feelings and then uh, getting violently sick one night and not being able to sleep. So I read it and went, oh, wow, this is really good. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had a similar uh, surprise in reading 13 Reasons Why, and, and it's written for the tween audience, right? Teen, is that yeah. teen? Yes, so, so it's going for like junior high, high school. Yep. Yep. Okay, so you know, you go into it thinking, all right, I want to read this because Jay wrote it, but this isn't written for my audience, my age demographic. And uh, just thinking it was an amazing book, even for my age. So do you want to give the summary of this book? Yeah, it's 
meant for high schoolers. Basically, it's about this boy named Clay Jensen. He's a junior, and he comes home one day, and there's a package addressed to him sitting on his doorstep. And he opens it up, and there are seven audio cassettes inside, and their sides are labeled 1 through 13. And after he finally finds a way to play cassette tapes, because they're outdated, Mm -hmm. uh, he puts in the first tape, presses play, and out comes the voice of Hannah Baker, a classmate of his who two weeks earlier committed suicide. And what she says is that each side of each tape, she's going to tell the story about somebody at their school who she feels led her to the decision to take her life. And if you've received the box of tapes, you're one of the reasons. So it's an intense book, not a very humorous book. Um, and and it, it is scary, especially when you're handing it off to friends who aren't teens, who are adults, because they do have to be people who can remember what it was like in high school and not the sometimes romanticized version of high school they like to remember. Mm -hmm. Um, You hear that a lot from adults. They don't really connect with it at first, and all you have to do is say, but do you remember how these small little things affected you when you were in high school and how big they felt at the time? And then all of a sudden you see on the face, they go, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty hard. <laughs> so how how traumatic was your high school experience that you could just jump in there with such clarity? Not very. And that's always a disappointment to some people. <laughs> the experience, they, they expect that I, I wrote it from an experience of having a very difficult high school experience, but I actually really didn't. And maybe that made it easier for me. Yeah, to, write to about jump that. into other people's right. heads and so. Well, so the book. I mean, you're on this journey. It's it's mostly all one night. It takes it's one just, night, yeah. And it is the journey of this boy listening to each side of the tape. Mm. And by the middle of the book, of course, you're dying to get to the side where it's about him because yes. you're following him, but he's hearing about everyone else's stories. And that's a yeah. I, I remember just being like, "Come on, the next tape better stink and be his tape." Right. And that's what uh, makes people zip through the book. <laughs> you got to get there. Suspenseful device. <laughs> a suspenseful device. He was take one at first, and then you thought, I, yeah, I, I can move this down. back. Yeah. So here's, here's the interesting part. I mean, you wrote this book not at all thinking you were going to become the voice of uh, teen suicide right. to a lot of people, right? Or did that cross your mind? It, it did cross my mind. Okay. Everything I had tried, I had tried writing books and selling books for 12 years before I sold my first book. And everything I had written before was humorous. And I was so looking forward to going to schools around the country, speaking and just making them laugh. And then once I started this really serious book, which I thought had the best chance of selling, because it actually did... Uh, show my writing in the best light, I thought, great, This I'm going to get some intense emails, have some intense conversations. It's not going to be as humorous-driven, you know, writing life as, as I was hoping for. But in the end, I absolutely am so honored uh, that this is my first book and that teens do open up about these issues to me. So how much have you been traveling speaking on this issue? Uh, it's been about every other week I'll be in a different state, uh, mostly going to high schools, um, but since my wife and I just had our first child, it's going to be maybe once a month that I'm hoping for, so I can spend some more time at home. Uh, and usually, yeah, I'm talking about the issues in the book, as well as just being a writer. And so I do, every you know, every month run into several kids who've experienced a lot of the things that the characters in my book have experienced, as well a lot, a lot of teens who haven't, but 
it kind of opens their eyes to some of the teens around them who maybe have, and but they weren't looking for it. They, so they, they were treating them as if everything was fine in their lives, and they realized, you know, maybe there are people at this school who are really hurting, and, and I should be open and, and you know, helpful to them in any way I can. So this book, an alternative to simply renting the movie Heathers and trying to get an education on teen suicide. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back talking with Jay Asher. And uh, we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to this episode 51, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 51. Of the Pirate yeah. Monk podcast. Jay, so, man, uh, how good to have you here. As another writer uh, who is almost as successful as you are, <laughs> <laughs> I've, you know, the, uh, my mind is teeming with questions. Sure. Um, you, you say that you did not have a particularly traumatic high school experience. You didn't write this out of your own personal experience, and yet you've uh, put together a story that connects with high school audiences around the world. Uh, did you do a, a bunch of uh, a research in preparation to writing the book? Uh, actually, no. I did research afterwards to make sure that my book was hitting all the marks and kind of the emotional arc of a suicidal teen. I had a, a I have a close relative who attempted suicide when she was the same age as the girl in the book. Mm. And so I understood it from her perspective. And then when I was coming up with a lot of the incidents that happened in the book, I spoke to a lot of my female friends who are adults now and asked them about their teen years, some of the experiences they went through that at the time they, not, they, they thought they would never get through. Mm. And it seemed to be the same issues for everybody, and as it was for my relative who attempted suicide. And it was just she took things, you know, she had other things going on in her life that these smaller events that my other friends made it through successfully yeah. meant so much more to her. Yeah. And kind of became, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and that really is the brilliance of the book is that it's not just that one giant thing you it, it made me feel like man i need to be very careful about how i love people because you don't know how many little things are in their life and having been a youth pastor and i was closer to it when i actually read the book uh, jay nails the voice of a 16 year old girl like no other non-ovary bearing <laughs> biped ever <laughs> Yeah, how that happened, I don't know. <laughs> um, it strikes me that um, that a teen, actually even an adult, who is secretly considering suicide, uh, you know, nurtures the suicidal thoughts, uh, and eventually acts on them, does so in isolation. There's there's some distance from community during that process, or an, an antagonistic relationship with community. Uh, is, is, am I on the right track here? Is there some yeah. some social disconnection that goes on? There is, and sometimes it's just an internal one. Sometimes it's just that they feel 
isolated, even though there might be a community out there that they could go to. But suicide, one of the things I was very conscious of as I was writing the book was the stigma suicide has. It's such an uncomfortable thing for people to talk about, whether you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or whether you're on the outside thinking a friend or family member may be having those thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's such an uncomfortable topic that it makes it so neither one of them wants to reach out. They're afraid of what the other person's going to think. And that right there isolates people. Yeah. You know, it's a hard thing to say. I think my son or I think my best friend is suicidal. I know they're going through a lot and I know I can see it on their faces that they're, they're dealing with a lot of stuff, but I don't want to bring up the word suicide because maybe it's not that serious. Then they're going to laugh at me and, you know, and all that does is then make that person feel like nobody understands them. It's such a this dance that we all do. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things writing the book that I kind of got out of it was that I do need to be more open, one, about my own feelings when I need help, but also to <coughs> make sure I do reach out to my friends and let them know if you need to talk to somebody, you know, I am here. Yeah. So. Yeah. It just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, the topic touches me at a personal level because uh, my mother took her own life when I was nine years old. Uh, it and a, a couple of years ago, my brother sent me a photograph, a family photograph that was taken uh, just shortly before she was sent to an, a, a mental hospital, uh, and I see in her face this just this haunted expression and almost vacant in the eyes there's some desperation there and uh you know I'm in the photograph I'm just a little kid oblivious but but I I, I couldn't help but wondering as and I and I can't get that picture out of my mind uh did anybody see what uh distress my mother was in or was it just a topic that couldn't be touched? Could you couldn't, uh, you know, uh, and it and finally took her over the edge. Uh, in our Samson Society meetings, suicide, by the way, is a topic that comes up uh, on at least in our group on a fairly regular basis. And I'm I am so pleased that our group is uh, one in which it's safe for a guy to say, you know, I've really been thinking about suicide. Um, and he's not dismissed. Neither do we go into panic mode or uh, uh, you know isolation mode. He's just a guy who who uh, he's one of our brothers who this week is struggling with thoughts of taking his own life. And uh, yeah, there's one guy who's brought that up all over the course of the last seven or eight years. If he hadn't been able to say it, I don't know whether he'd still be with us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the big things. Uh, and, and going along with why it's so difficult to talk about these issues is there is this kind of myth that if you bring it up to somebody who's suicidal, it might be the thing that pushes them over the edge. So let's not bring it up. Let's not talk about it. When in reality, sometimes they just, there's this tension built up inside of them and they don't know how to get rid of that tension. And just talking about it actually does help. Mm. Just just talking about it. not necessarily getting help, but just saying it. It's freeing. Yeah. Now, Nate, for the for the guys that are in meetings right now, and you say, "Wow, this gets brought up sometimes." I'm sure there's some people that feel a little fear about, "Well, what's my obligation if someone brings this up? What's my obligation to report? How should I respond?" And I guess that 
I'd also be curious for you, Jay, if people brought stuff up to you that has put you in a strange situation as far as what what you should do. Yeah, a lot of times when I hear from people, it's not, I'm feeling suicidal now. It is, I've had these thoughts. And a lot of times it's when I'm speaking at a school, they'll come up and tell me this. And I always say, isn't it amazing you have this school that isn't afraid to bring in an author to talk about these things? And that's because the people at the school are willing to talk about these issues. These adults here aren't afraid of this. And, you know, and I've, I've had counselors who say that a student has come to them saying, I read this book and it made me realize it is my responsibility to get help for myself. Mm. And that's what I hear most often is from, from teens, I'll get emails saying that, yes, I was considering killing myself. And then I read your book and I got so upset at the main character that she didn't do more to help herself that I realized I can't sit back and wait and, you know, just drop hints. I need to really reach out for help until I find somebody. And so they'll contact me after it made them open up to their parents or open up to a teacher or librarian. Nate, before you answer the question that I do want you to answer, I think that was huge for anybody in community to hear that because we all do that when we're in pain. We start dropping hints and trying to, uh, I guess we're trying to prove to ourselves that people care about us because they're chasing after us. Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. just drop the hints so that they can prove that they love us. Yeah. And that's so important as a part of Samson is that we take the responsibility to ask for the help that we need. Right. And uh, that's that's huge for us to understand because so many of us, I mean, I was in that habit from a very young age. I was the junior hire that a youth group would go sit in the corner while everyone played a game just to see if anyone would notice and come over and talk to me, mm-hmm. a leader, you know. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, well, that just proved that nobody cares that I'm here. And so, man, developing those games early is a dangerous thing. So I love that students see that in her character, that yeah. she she had that responsibility. You know, that that's where kind of my personality comes into the book is I was definitely like that up until very recently, Mm. you know, and not necessarily that I would drop hints, although I did do that too, but just, it was very, very hard for me to reach out, to be open. And it wasn't until the book came out and I started hearing from teens telling me this, that they were reaching out because of my book that I felt guilty (laughs) (laughs) that man, you're, you're a better person than I am when it comes to that. And I think I need to follow the example you're setting based on my book and start reaching out and being open. Mm-hmm. And man, it's the most amazing thing when you do do that though. So Nate, back to the question on what would you say to the guys uh, that maybe someone in a Samson meeting brings this up, what is an appropriate response and what is the uh, appropriate obligation there? Yeah. Well, you know, in my mind, the guy who actually, who actually says it, uh, if he's sharing in a Samson meeting, he's got basically seven minutes to talk. And the opener is, you know, I've had thoughts of taking my own life. Now he's got seven minutes to kind of explain and articulate while we listen. And uh, what I find over and over again is that, uh, you know, as that fellow gets the chance to, to talk to guys who care and who listen, uh, about the feelings that are driving him uh, in the direction of self-destruction, just uh, being able to share. Uh, I mean, the guy, 
the guy does not walk out in the same state that he walked in. Mm-hmm. Um, we also we make sure uh, we've got each other's phone call, phone numbers. Uh, we share email addresses. Uh, we go to the meeting after the meeting. It's not just this formal time uh, in the circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially if a guy has said something like this, you want to make sure he comes to the meeting after the meeting. Let's have some informal time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. Perhaps I don't take it seriously enough. Uh, you know, occasionally somebody, you know, somebody will bring up suicide in a group where there's a rookie or a tourist from out of town, and at the and just at the mention of the word suicide, the visitor panics. It's like. Holy crap! We got to call the cops. We got to commit the guy. We've got to, you know. Um, and I suppose that there may be moments at which those extreme measures are, are necessary. Uh, in our experience so far, though, um, an acceptance that registers and accepts what the brother has said, that is sympathetic and wants to help him unpack it, and wants to share life with him. Uh, that that uh, reinforces what an important part of the community he is is enough to keep him away from the edge. I think it, this also warrants uh, the the conversation after the meeting. You know, that's that's what the meetings after the meetings are for. Yeah. But even if that person doesn't, for someone to be following up. And and just saying, hey, I really appreciate what you shared tonight. That that took a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And some of the questions of are these are these thoughts that you're having like a lot? Is this a constant thought or kind of a passing thought? Right. And asking the question of you, have you actually made specific plans? Like, have you thought this through? That's an important question to show whether or not someone's just depressed and thinking like I'd I'd be better off dead yeah. versus. Yeah. I've I've been thinking about I'm gonna go in the garage and I'm gonna you know yeah. like yeah. walk through in their mind, and then if a person does, if it does seem like wow this is a very pervasive thought that they've really thought through, to to walk with them and and saying you know what maybe maybe can I go with you and we can go see what kind of helps available to yeah. help you with these thoughts, so those. Those meeting after the meeting conversations can be really important if you're feeling uncomfortable with anything, and that could that could be any guy sharing about any struggle, any sin. That it's not about just they talk and it stops at the meeting. Right. There are lots of times where the meeting after the meeting is absolutely essential for Samson to not just be a place where people come dump their crap and walk away. Right. And then come back and dump their crap again. This is about community. It is about conversation. It's just that's not what happens in the meeting. Yeah, yeah. What What are your thoughts on this topic, Jay? Oh, you guys are you guys are hitting it all right on the head. And it's, sometimes you know it's it's community, and it is a lot of times when you're suicidal, you really just don't think there is anybody you can go to to talk to, mm-hmm. and they just. They, they really seriously think that. And although you have a meeting like you guys are talking about where numbers and emails are exchanged, all of a sudden they do have a number. Yeah. And they can no longer tell themselves there's nobody I can call. And even if the person on the other line is in a way hoping that they don't call because yeah. they have to then deal with it on another level, that person has that number. And that's why at the back of the book we list the National Suicide Hotline number, 1-800-SUICIDE, 
And a lot of times I will tell, you know, in my speeches, I'll tell teens, even when you feel you can't talk to your parents, which hopefully you actually can, you're just afraid to, or you can't talk to a guidance counselor. This is a number where there are strangers who don't know you sitting there and they actually want you to call them. If in a moment you need to talk to somebody, there are people that actually want you to talk to them. And I think it's the fact that they are strangers is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But they do have people they can talk to. And the person on the other end of the line is trained in, you know, figuring out how serious this call is or how to connect that person with, you know, people in their community that they can go to. Mm. And so, yeah, a lot of times it is just letting them know there there are people that want do to you, know. Do you have any idea of what the call volume is on that hotline, Jay? I don't. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh... I am so glad that I live in the electronic age uh, and that remote communication, instant communication is possible. Uh, There have been many times. I've not struggled with suicide, but I certainly have struggled with compulsive behavior. There are countless times when that that telephone saved my life. Mm. Well, it has been an interesting topic today. Uh, The book is 13 Reasons Why... The dude is Jay Asher. You can check his website at... You go to 13reasonswhy.com. 13reasonswhy.com. My blog, jayasher.blogspot.com. And that's the one where they can see pictures of your new little baby. My new little baby, yes. Nice. Congratulations, man. Thank you. He won't be reading this book for a while, but... uh, Uh, Now, now, just real quick, biggest surprise about fatherhood, and what, it's been like, what, three weeks, four weeks? I'm bad at it. Four weeks. Four weeks. Four weeks. I don't know. It... It, I, it was amazing to me that the moment he was born, after I got over how weird his head was shaped, that he, he felt like he's been there my whole life. Yeah. Like it was just instant, instant bonding, instant love, instant, I am so happy you will be in my life for the rest of my life. It was amazing. And asking you five years ago, you wouldn't have thunk. Those would be the feelings. Oh, not at all. <laughs> so, so that's an awesome thing. So, yeah, so check out... J now J Asher dot blogspot. Let's do that one again. J Asher dot blogspot dot com. All right. Well, there it is. Check out the book. Doesn't matter what age you are, but if you've got a teenage kid or niece or nephew, grab one for them. Or you can pick up the audio book too if you'd like to have something interesting going on in the car. That would be a good one for a, a long trip. If you'd like to learn more about the Samson Society or the Pirate Monks. Come to PirateMonkPodcast.com, that's PirateMonkPodcast.com, and listen to some old episodes, or click around and see more about the Samson Society. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Mark Whitlock. We'll see you soon on the Pirate Monk Podcast when Nate, Mondo, Aaron, Newton, and myself are back around the microphones. Junior, baby. Preaching recovery.